So awesome. Um, I just want to actually switch up a little bit. I want to start this, this uh, service in prayer. Um, so hello, I'm Austin. Welcome. Um, let's pray. <laughs> God, thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity to gather together um, as a body to hear your truth. Um, God, as we listen to that song by 30 Seconds to Mars, um, and I'm sitting back here and I'm reflecting on this topic of war, um, and God, what I believe you've put on my heart, God, I, I am um, I'm humbled, and I just pray, Lord, for the hearts of this room to be softened, um, the, their spirits to be emboldened by your spirit, um, but also to be humbled in the moment to hear what you are uh, speaking this morning. And so, God, use me. Um, be in this place. Dwell in this place among us. We thank you for this time once again. Amen. Yeah, that song, 30 Seconds to Mars, is just the perfect way to kick off this series about war, right? I mean, and, and it's the perfect way because, well, there's a lot of things in that song that, goodness, we could talk about from a spiritual perspective. Um, but one of the, the focus I want to kind of highlight here is the idea that in that song, war shows no partiality, right? It's the good and the evil, the soldier, the civilian, the martyr, the victim, the liar, the honest, the leader, the pariah, the victor, the messiah. This is war. This is war. It impacts everyone. And in this series, this is not a series I'm not talking about Russia, I'm not talking about China or the Middle East or anything like that. I am talking about a war that is waging much closer to home. A war that is in our communities, a war that is in our homes, in our families, and even inside of us. I am talking about spiritual warfare. And more specifically, talking about revealing the three enemies that we must recognize in order to resist as followers of Jesus in this battle, this war for our souls. I am talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And maybe you've, maybe you've heard those uh, before, and so that's what we're going to be talking about in these next uh, few weeks. And um, quite honestly, I was hesitant to even do a series on the topic of spiritual warfare. Um, I, I still am. But here we are. And so it is my hope and goal for us to recognize that this idea is just as much a reality for us as it is and was for Jesus and the authors of the Bible. A month ago or so, I had the opportunity to teach about our adversary, the accuser, Hasatan, the devil. And I realized during this time that I knew, I really knew very little about the enemy, our enemy. And so while I was researching and digging into, this, into the Bible about this topic and the enemy and the idea of spiritual warfare, I realized it's actually referenced quite a lot. The biblical authors and our spiritual ancestors were far more proficient at addressing the reality of spiritual warfare than we are today. And this may be because following Jesus, telling people, that, that following Jesus is this beautiful journey or this, you know, loving lifestyle, and it is, but telling people that is a whole lot easier than telling someone it is a war zone against a real enemy who is prowling like a lion who wants to devour you, to destroy you. 
If you're new here, welcome. Glad you're here. Please come back. Um, but see, seriously, my, hesit- my hesitancy to even breach this topic, let alone use the language of spiritual warfare, is primarily uh, because of the different connotations that come along with it. And I find that uh, for, for many of us, even in the church, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we're quick to dismiss the reality of spiritual warfare and the three enemies of the soul. We're quick to dismiss those. And perhaps it's because of the superstitions surrounding the idea, superstitions that are occasionally at best conjecture, superstitions that are sometimes borderline paranoia, Or perhaps it's the idea that spiritual warfare in this day and age is irrelevant. We know better. We know better now. We have an explanation for everything, right? And when we don't, hold on, let me Google it, right? In full transparency, I do that all the time. I do it a lot. You know, when the devil is this little red man with horns, hooves, and a pitchfork, and the flesh, a.k.a. our desires, is the compass we use to navigate life, and when the world or our culture races towards progress and liberation, it, it, it makes sense why we might scratch our heads or disregard altogether the idea of spiritual warfare as if it were a relic of a pre-modern society like Zeus's lightning or Thor's hammer. And yet we wonder. We wonder, why is my mind? Why is my mind under such duress? Why does it constantly feel like a fight against my desires? Why do I keep coming back to this self-defeating behavior? Why do I feel so inflicted by the ideologies of our time? Why does injustice rage when so many decry it as evil? Why is there just a steady stream of bad news from, from across the world? Like with all of our money, technology, and political prowess, why can't we seem to fix the problems that are in the world? And why do I even care? Why does it weigh so heavy on me? Could it be that our souls are at war with another world? Could it be that the enemy isn't some myth and spiritual warfare is all too real? Could it be that our apathy, our superstitions, our skepticism has only aided in the havoc that the world, the flesh, and the devil are wrecking on our souls and our society? Could it be that what it means to follow Jesus is more than just becoming his student, it is but also to enlist as a soldier and join him in this fight against the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil? This is war. Now, there's a lot written about war. So, we're talking about heavy stuff today, okay? So, hang in there, okay? Hang in there. Bear with me. There is a lot written about war, um, but perhaps the most insightful work ever written on the topic comes from an ancient Chinese military strategist, Sun Tzu. And this, is, this comes from his work called The Art of War. And he gives this advice. He says, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory, you will also suffer a defeat. 
If you know neither the enemy um, or, nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. And from this quote is where we get the famous line, know your enemy. And if you were here a month ago or so, you might remember I talked about the devil in a teaching called Enemy, where we learned um, from a teaching from Jesus that the devil's main stratagem is lies, deception. So I'd encourage you to go back and watch that if, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, because knowing your enemy is important, but that is only half of what Sun Tzu is talking about, right? According to Sun Tzu, we must also know ourselves. Or in the context of war, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know the strategies that work best for you, and know what resources you have at your disposal. And when we know the enemy and when we know ourselves, we need not fear the result of a hundred battles. Here's the kicker for us, though. I believe as followers of Jesus, we need not fear at all. Because you see, what happened on the cross 2000, over 2,000 years ago was the equivalent of a spiritual D-Day for Satan. That day, a decisive battle was won that marked the beginning of the war's end. You see, the devil's fate was sealed on the first Easter just as Hitler's was sealed on June 6th, 1944. However, if you are familiar with the history of World War II, then you know, you know there was still a lot of work left to do. There was still a lot of ground left to cover before the war was officially over. And so in the meantime, for us, as followers of Jesus, we need to understand and recognize that our enemy is like a hungry, wounded animal, more dangerous than ever. And in this ongoing war, friends, we are still susceptible to injury. Spiritually, mentally, emotional, and even physical harm is a very real possibility. We as followers of Jesus are not immune to this. Friends, we bleed, we suffer, and we die along with the rest of humanity. And we are still vulnerable to temptation and deceit. This is why Peter warns us to stay alert and sober-minded despite knowing how the story ends, right? When all evil will be wiped off the earth and we will reign alongside Jesus, our King, in his kingdom. But until then, the scriptures encourage us to stand, resist, and push back against the enemy. And in order to do that effectively or without fail, as Sun Tzu would argue, then we need to know our enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we need to know ourselves, daughters and sons of Jesus, King Jesus. And so throughout this series, we will seek to do both of those things. And today, we are talking about the world. What is the world? Or what do Jesus and the biblical authors mean when they use that word? Well, the word for world in the Greek is the word cosmos, which is where we get our English word cosmos, right? Okay, kind of makes sense, kind of sounds like it, okay. Um, and so Similar to English, there are words in the Greek that have multiple meanings, nuances, right? Differences that they take on depending on the context you're using them in. Take sick, for example, in the English language. Okay, if I say, if I, say I am sick, right, I could be describing myself as, as I'm ill 
or I'm unwell, right? Um, or I could, be, I could use the word sick to describe something as cool or awesome, like that is sick, bro, okay? Or lastly, lastly I, could, I could use the word sick to describe something that is gross or disgusting. The word for world in the Bible has at least three different meanings that it could be referring to. In Romans, the first one that we're going to look at in Romans 1.20, Paul uses the word uh, world to refer to God's creation of planet Earth. And, and this, is hard, this is hardly what we're talking about when we're referring to the enemy of our soul, okay? Although, although living in northern Indiana for most of my life, right? Some of you, some of you too, okay? Like the, mo- the second most cloudy county in the nation. Okay, the argument could be made, all right? Just... Putting that out there. Anyway, um, other, times, other times the word world refers to humanity, such as in the, the famous verse John 3.16. Here also, humanity, not our enemy. Okay, Paul is clear about this in his letter to Ephesians. And so here in this, in this word world, um, or in this reference uh, to humanity in this scripture, it's also referring to God's creation, okay, but the whole human part of it, his masterpiece, right? Therefore, drawing on the loving eye of the Creator's compassion. But when we are going to be talking, what we're going to be talking about in the series today specifically um, is the word world as an enemy of our soul. And so, this is an example of this is when Jesus referred to the world in John chapter 15. So this is John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And here, what Jesus is doing is he is warning his followers that the world, which will eventually crucify him, would treat them, his followers, very similarly. In other words, our relationship to the world in this context is hostile which tracks with how Jesus referred to the world as under the reign and rule of the devil, not God, and how he saw his upcoming death as a resurrection, as the liberation of humanity from the devil's rule. He says this in uh, John 12, verse 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. He's talking about his work on the cross. Now the prince of this world, some of you, any of you are following along in your Bibles, um, the translation, now the prince, that you might also have ruler, um, and that word means archon, archon, which is a reference towards a, like, judge, jury, and, like, executioner, like a ruler of the world. And so now the prince of this world will be driven out. And the ruler of this world in its present sinful state is Satan. And through the world, the devil's Lies and deceptive ideas speak to disorder and confuse the desires of a fallen humanity. I'm going to repeat that. In this world, through the world, the devil's lies and deceptive ideas speak to disorder and confuse the desires of a fallen humanity. 
the use of this word is more commonly referred to today as culture. One Greek um, lexicographer defines this use of the word world simply as, simply as, um, the system of practices and standards associated with secular society. Secular society meaning um, one that attempts to live as if there is no God. But the world, in the context of our scriptures, is more than just a a community or society that is no God. Because Satan is anti-God, the world and the ruler of this world, the world is anti-God. There are cultural and societal practices that are anti-God in our world. And no, I'm not up here like trying to convince you that Harry Potter is like satanic or that football is of the devil or that KISS actually stands for knights in Satan's service. Okay, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do here. However, the temptation to the world and its ideas are very much something that Jesus and the biblical authors warned us against. To them, the world is what happens when Adam and Eve's sin in the garden goes viral. When the temptation to define what is good and evil for ourselves spreads, the result is mass deception. The distorted becomes normative. And then sin is recast as any number of things. Freedom, Human rights, reproductive justice, just the way things are, nature, science, boys will be boys, pretty much anything but sin. Do I even have to convince you that this is the culture we live in, friends? When lust is redefined as love, when marriage is no longer a covenant of lifelong fidelity, but a contract for personal fulfillment, when divorce is an act of courage and authenticity rather than breaking the breaking of vows, or the objection of women's sexuality through pornography as female empowerment, or greed as responsibility to shareholders, or racism as an issue of the past, or Marxism as justice, or the dehumanization and destruction of a baby recast as reproductive justice, or simply, an article I read this morning referred to it as genetic counseling. The popular historian and leading atheist of our time, you probably didn't expect you would be hearing from an atheist in church this morning, okay? Um, Yuval Noah Harari describes, but here's what I think he describes the temptation of the world quite well. So I'm going to put this up for us. He says this, in earlier times, it was God who could define goodness, righteousness, and beauty. Today, those answers lie within us. Our feelings give meaning to our private lives, but also to our social and political processes. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The customer is always right. The voter knows best. If it feels good, do it and think for yourself. These are some of the main humanist credos. And as nice as many of these sayings sound, in action they will eventually fail to lead to anything that resembles humanity and more closely resembles animality. And what's left is a broken culture with with things like a Me Too movement because one in four women will experience sexual violence at some point in their life. One in four. Because the world says if it feels good, do it. 
I'd like to reflect on the words of Jesus at this time. This is in John 17, starting in verse 14. Jesus is praying to his Father, and he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may too be truly sanctified. Man, I love that prayer. One of the dangers of this temptation to the world and its ideas as followers of Jesus is that as we are sent into the world, <clears throat> there is this temptation to conform to the world, right? You've heard this before. This is why Paul encourages us in Romans to not be conformed to what he refers to as the ways of this world. And as followers of Jesus, we are not people of this world. We are people of the kingdom of heaven, sent and the temptation for us is to try to live as if we've got a foot in both worlds. And when you've got a foot in both world, friends, you're going to split your crotch. You're listening. Okay, great. That's good to know. All right. You're still with me. Here's the temptation. Um, here's where the temptation of the world tries to deceive us as followers of Jesus, okay? It's the idea that we can be in both worlds. The idea that we can have all of the benefits of the kingdom of heaven, right? All of the goodness there without having to live under the rule and the authority of Jesus as king. It's the kingdom without the king. And we have this assumption because of our culture that encourages us to do whatever you want Right? Be anything you want to be, you do you. And that has led to a DIY kind of Christianity that has arisen. And at its core, it is not Jesus, it is the world. It is the mixing of the way of Jesus with consumerism, with secular sex ethics, and a radical individualism. And it leads to these ideas like I can follow Jesus and still do this. I can follow Jesus and I can still watch that. I can follow Jesus and I can still listen to this. Like I'm pretty sure that's the opposite of what Jesus was, was referring to when he prayed, as you send me into the world, as you sent me into the world, Lord, I have sent them into the world. My point is this, Jesus' vision of a flourishing life in the world is often 180 degrees apart from the cultural and societal norms of our day. So what do we do? What do we do then as followers of Jesus? Do we, I mean, we're around a lot, is, is Amish, is that what we do? Right, do we just, we just decide to just separate Jesus says, I have sent them into the world. I actually, and I'm not, this isn't anything about the Amish. I know some incredible Christians who are Amish, who are following Jesus in ways that I wish I could. And so, and this is just as much a message, a sermon, a preaching to my heart as it is to yours, you guys. So what do we do? As followers of Jesus, how do we stand in the world and resist the devil? 
I have a few things in mind for us to do today or throughout our week in response to this idea. And that first one is surrender. It is surrender. Jesus is king. In this kingdom, Jesus is king. He meant what he said when he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light because the way of the world will crush you. It will crush you. It is so heavy and all of the pressures and and societal norms are heavy and the way of Jesus will lead you to life. Surrender to Jesus. And that practice leads me to our second practice that I would encourage you this week to consider. Um, And and I'm calling this practice an idea audit. An idea audit. And I would just consider you to humbly approach the Lord and ask him, God, are there things in this world, are there ways of this world that I have bought into, that I identify with? Are there things, not even, not even ways of this world, are there ideas that I have decided is right that God might not be your way? I'm not, um, maybe you're not sure what you need to surrender. Um, maybe it's your time. Maybe you have a, an unhealthy relationship with your time, the idea that it is yours. You should be able to do with it whatever you want. There's a lot of... Just keep going. Maybe it's your money. And this, isn't, this, this is not about giving any of this stuff away to the church. This is what I want to say. This isn't about giving any of this away to the church. This is about you guys identifying and recognizing that you might have a relationship with these things that is unhealthy to your relationship with God. That is it. What do you need to surrender? Are these things dictating your life and keeping you enslaved to the world? So what is it? Is it your, is it your busyness, right? Because there's, there's always something to do, always something to do, always something to get done. I got to do something. Okay, but you also need rest. You need rest. Maybe you have a really poor relationship. And, and this is interesting because I have asked students, how many of you think you are on your phone too much? And I kid you not, I have seen a majority of the hands go in the air. Maybe you have a relationship with your phone that needs to be reevaluated, or a relationship with Netflix. I don't know, whatever it is. This is why I invite you to bring this, this conversation to the Lord in, the, in, in his presence in prayer, through prayer, okay? Um, maybe, maybe you need to resurrender your life to Jesus. You've been living in the way of the world, defining it for yourself, and you're tired. It's heavy, friend, and it was a burden that you were not meant to carry. Surrender to Jesus. Lastly, the third practice I, I, I um, would have for us uh, for this week, and uh, guys, for the future, quite honestly, um, is what we're doing right now. Church. Church. Gathering together, worshiping together, hearing truth, Encouraging one another, 
I cannot emphasize how important it is to come and be here. And this isn't even about, don't, mis, don't like misread me. This isn't about church attendance. This isn't about waypoint. This isn't about filling seats. This is about your relationship with God. We don't care where you go. Go somewhere. Be in community. Be in spiritual formation type relationships with people. Jesus modeled this for us. He didn't just have one disciple. He had multiple disciples, multiple people that he walked in life with. He was in community with. This is about being with people who are trying their hardest to follow in the way of Jesus too. We spend, we spend 95% of our week in the world. It's not enough to just listen to a podcast. It's, it's not enough to just to watch online You need to do it together and you need to be in worship together. Do it in community. If you're watching online, do it in community. Find a community. Find some people that you can hold you accountable and do life with. This is about coming together to worship Jesus, our King. Hear some truth in a world that is riddled with lies, friends to be encouraged in a world that wants to isolate you and make you feel alone and make you feel like you're not worthy, you're not good enough, whatever it is, this place, this community, the church, the body of Christ is here to lift you up, to grow you, to hold you accountable. It's a beautiful thing. We get to do that for each other, friends, and we have to do that for each other if we are going to stand against and fight the good fight of faith, as Paul says, in this war for our souls. I'm going to pray, and then we'll close out the service. God, this is heavy stuff. And I just pray, Lord, for the hearts that are in this space this morning. God, that you are just refreshing them with your spirit, your spirit that is like water for a thirsty soul. God, I pray for as, uh, these practices as we go about our weeks. I pray for strength, vulnerability, to, to bring to you some of these ideas, maybe these, these things that we've never wanted to bring to you. God, I pray that we could come to you humbly and identify those things and that we could understand that you are with us. We would feel your presence in that moment. God, I pray for your spirit as we practice some of these things, as we maybe make some commitments to surrender, to resurrender. God, that you would be with us and that your spirit is following alongside us, leading us, guiding us, growing us into human beings more like you, Jesus. Not of the world, but of the kingdom of heaven, whom you sent us to bring to the world the kingdom of heaven. May we do that this week, Lord. May we, um, again, just be encouraged by the people in this room. May we have friendships that are established, that are grown, that are built here and in our communities that bring your kingdom into our communities. We thank you for this morning, Jesus. It's all for your glory.
Amen.